So we can go over a few of the a few applications of Python. Like where where should I where should I could I use Python? Okay. And some Python applications. The first one we already said is for writing parsers for Fulcro applications for Fulcro APIs. Yeah. Fulcro Fulcro and Python meet on EQL, so they have a lot of synergy there. Mm-hmm. And my great friend Tony K that writes it is does a very great job on Fulcro. Yeah. Is the uh, yeah. Is the documentation? Shout out to Tony. Yeah, shout out to Tony. I mean, great work, great work there on Fulcro, in the docs and everything, and on the red. I didn't got much to the red, but I, I, I understand. That I, I think it's good just because of how much excited I see Tony K about it. So, right, I'll, I'll get right. to that at some point. Anyway, for so if you write Fulcro APIs, you should um, Python is a good way to use it. Another usage that I saw at NewBank that I found pretty cool was for template fillers. And <laughs> this is just another kind of UI, right? But if you're writing custom emails and you have to fill the template with the emails, wouldn't be great if you could just tell the template, I have this customer ID, and then on the template, you just put the namespace keywords that you want and let Python figure it out. <laughs> and you don't have to be calling the functions anymore. The data mm-hmm. scientists at NewBank found that was a really good way, and uh, they go with that and seems to be working cool, since you have some good results. So a compatibility layer, although this one is, is more like if you are already, it is a naming word. You can create a bunch of aliases and make it work. I was thinking about that, for example, I feel quite sad that EQL... Uh, we talk so much about namespace keywords and how they should be used everywhere, but EQL itself does not is not doing a very good job on that, in the sense that when you convert a query to an AST, that's an internal representation of the query mm-hmm. that's used by parsers and internal stuff, that AST keys are not namespaced, and the reason for that is because we that was inherent like that. Uh, it was like that since some next, and now we don't want to break things anymore. Like, I could make EQL true and put namespaces on everything, but then I'll have I'll have a system that probably would break with Fulcro. So we are favoring non-breakages even over having the fully qualified. Mm-hmm. But what if we could have both? And in this idea, what I imagine is that I can create a set of resolvers that make the conversion from the namespace name for the no namespace name. And then I could have the new version of EQL to be fully namespaced. And if you need to use that on Fulcro, you could wrap that with a smart map that converts the full, full names to the local names. This way you can have such some kind of transparent API. So this is one of the usage design envisioning for the future that could be interesting. And Pattern could also be interesting for you if you're trying to integrate distributed APIs and systems. Uh, like we said before, wrapping REST APIs and giving giving every output a name will make your a- API on the long run much easier to use because then you can isolate your clients from those details. That's mm-hmm. that's the work I did at NewBank for most time. We're wrapping a huge number of endpoints and just giving attribute names for every property. Mm-hmm. It's also, Python has 
Python can integrate with GraphQL. Like GraphQL is not an enemy. It's uh, we can pull GraphQL inside of our system, and mm -hmm. integration with GraphQL is actually much nicer than with REST, because GraphQL already has a schema, so Python can leverage that, and the integration is is mostly automatic. There is there are a few things you have to configure to make the Python integration with GraphQL. Mm -hmm. One of them is namespacing, because Python cares about namespace. So when you point your GraphQL API, you have to say, okay, I point you the GitHub API, and please use the GitHub prefix on this. Mm -hmm. So now you have properties like github.user slash name. User ID, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, slash ID. Like github.repository slash ID. So this prefix will be important. And also because entry points are different, but I'm not gonna get, check the docs to more details on that. Mm -hmm. So as we are talking about this API integration, uh, when I use Patom, uh, I, of course I need to talk EDN on both sides, right? So on my client, I need to use Clojure script or Clojure, uh, and then I just need to send the requests and everything is in Eden. It's not like I can, uh, let's say output JSON, from my Python, right? No, you, you you're right. You can't you can't output JSON, uh, mostly mm -hmm. because uh, uh, Python is still uses and leverages some data structures that are not available in JSON. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you think about the request side, that's not much different from GraphQL. If you think that GraphQL is a, a foreign syntax for JavaScript, right? Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. GraphQL is not a native JavaScript compatible. Right. So when you're writing JavaScript and you want to write a GraphQL query, you write that as a string. Mm -hmm. In that right. sense, you could also make a string of Eden and send that. That that's what. Um, I yeah, see. that that's that's how it happens. Could happen. Yeah, and, what I'm just trying to get at. Yeah, what I'm just trying to get at is if someone is using, for example, on the backend closure and they have, you know, they want to use uh, Python and on the front end, on the front end, they're using React and JavaScript. Um, I think this would, I mean, of course, I, I believe there are ways to do this, right? Um, yeah, that, that would be annoying for a couple of reasons, but you can do, given that you can, there are APIs for EDN on JavaScript. So it's not like they are impossible to handle that. They have constructs, exactly. they have, uh, I, I, I'm forgetting the name of the library, but but Dave Nolan released a library that is the data structures from ClojureScript with a more JavaScript friendly API around that. I forgot the name, you know the name of this library? It's not Mori, right? It's not the immutable data, data structures. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that, it's Mori. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if there's something like on Mori and you can decode the EDN and just get the Mori data structures, that could work. And another way that I think it could work is by using JS proxies. Because mm -hmm. the problem here is that the API is annoying, right? You can't, if you try to use the Closure Script API with um, with JSON, it's a, it's a bit annoying and unfamiliar. So they will avoid doing it. But JS proxy is a very nice feature and you could write a proxy that makes that data structure more API friendly, or mm -hmm. you could convert that to JSON, like in the same way we do that in ClojureScript, you have the CLJ dash greater than JS, 
you could mm -hmm. do something that at the bridge if you don't care about the loss of information. You're gonna have to deal with the with the unambiguous attributes somehow. But yeah, that th those are the things you would have to do to use that on JavaScript. So so this is Patom, right? Uh, but there is uh, Patom also comes with a set of tools uh, that you can use to figure out that everything that's going on there. Yeah, Patom Patom provides some tooling to assist you because. <clears throat> As we see, those those things could get quite intractable to know like all the relationships and all the things. Although I would say for a long time, I personally did those debuggings just by looking at the index myself. It's not super fun, but it's doable. Like because the index is closure data structure, so it's not that hard to to go through it if you just on a repo navigating it. It's totally doable. But I, but I, I believe in tools. I believe tools are important to make us uh, to make us learn and think really because they give us different perspectives and can put information uh, can put very specific information in front of you and make mm -hmm. it easier for understand. So Patton comes Patton provides a set of tools that I call Patton Vis. Mm -hmm. That's a separated repository that includes some tooling. And the way we ship the way I ship Patton Vis is that um, there is a recent standalone app, and I think that's the easiest way to use. Uh, you can just download. It's an Electro app. You spin it off. You do some connection things, and you are you are good. And the other way to use Petonvis, if you are using Fulcrum, is via Fulcrum Inspect. Some tools mm -hmm. of Petonvis are directly integrated. So if you are using Fulcrum, then this is the easiest way. Mm -hmm. Using Fulcrum Inspect. Fulcrum Inspect is just a Chrome Dev Dev tool, right? Yeah, it's a or Chrome extension. It yeah, it's a Chrome extension, extension that, that provides extra dev tools. Mm -hmm. So you can use it from there. And what's what's in the box is that you have an index explorer that's like that documentation thing about attributes we talked about. Uh, I have a I have a quite large page on the Python documentation about the index explorer. It's like understanding with Python this. We're gonna link on the show notes. Mm -hmm. And you can see what that looks like. And this, this has a list of all the properties, all the resolvers uh, of the system. And when you mm -hmm. click on the property, you see the things I told you, what properties these are related to. They, it, it also provides a graph visualization on D3 so you can visually see your property connectedness to other properties. It's quite fun. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was a nice thing. I, I suggest people to check it out. So the Index Explorer can tell you what you can do. There is a query editor that's a, uh, it's a code mirror uh, UI for typing a query. Mm -hmm. And similar to GraphQL, it also provides autocomplete. Mm -hmm. So when you are typing there, it, it, it gives you suggestions about what you should, what you can ask there. And it, it is context-based. So it's not like, it's not just telling you every property everywhere. It's, it is context bound. It can look in the index and say, oh, in this point, you have a customer ID. So therefore, you can access these properties. So you can mm -hmm. access every property that a customer ID is related to and every property that is related to that properties as well, right? It's a recursive traversing down. So you, can, so you use the query editor, you run the queries, you see the results. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you have the tracing below you that will show that you have, if you have things properly configured and you ask for it, 
you can have the tracing information. And the tracing is like uh, this timeline visualization that shows you exactly how much time was spent on what. So you can see how much time Patton spent calling that customer uh, to process that customer name or that customer ID. Mm -hmm. So especially when you are doing dealing with large queries, this is a very useful tool to debug and pinpoint where the bottleneck is. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's pretty much it, the tools of Patton. There is a new, uh, the tracing uh, for the new version of Patton is going to have more stuff because now I am adi I'm adding, I'm adding stuff so you can see the, that query plan that I told you about. That that plan also has a visualization, but only if you use the reader tree and stuff. Mm -hmm. So talking about the new Patton, uh, so we said, I think we throw away two concepts, right? Uh, we said the Patton 3 will not contain, um, what was that, uh, parsers? Yeah, not contain parsers or readers. Or readers. Um, yeah. There is new tracing stuff coming in. Uh, yeah, new. that's a, yeah, that's a, this is more part of the new planner mm -hmm. because Patton is Patton had a long evolution around it how it's how it processed that index and it's getting it's getting smarter mm -hmm. and now this right. new planner is uh, is the next edition of it. This is one. Uh, what can I say that's useful here? But think about that. In the at the beginning, what was really eager was just go calling resolvers all the time. And yeah. on the second phase, that's the pattern two right now. It does a planning, but a pair attribute thing. So for each attribute has an individual plan. Mm -hmm. And in this new version, uh, the whole query, the sibling attributes, they they whole all of them generate a single plan for all of them. So this is. This can contemplate more situations. There, we will mm -hmm. talk more about that when you talk about the connecting, how Python can mm -hmm. connect everything. Right. You also mentioned smart maps, so this is also coming in Python three. Yeah, smart maps, which is this new interface, this new way to use Python that I think could mm -hmm. be very appealing for new users. It also open opens up Python for new types of usage. Mm -hmm. because it's much easier to explain smart maps than it is to explain EQL. And if you can just kind of replace your maps with smart maps, then then I think the friction gets gets very, very low. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that is coming in Patton 3 that is worth to mention? Uh, yes, I'm focusing a lot on performance. I'm trying to make Patton... I'm trying to make Patton don't spend your time. I want... I want I want you to want to use Patton to most of the time to be spent on your resolvers, on your code as much as possible. So Patton can be just this guy that's setting minimum, minimum friction to your system. Mm -hmm. So as we're talking about the performance, are there any benchmarks, anything like this that one could compare to, I don't know, GraphQL or anything like this? Or how would you go about performance of Patton? Uh, there isn't. There isn't such comparisons. Um, I wonder. I wonder if there is even a valid way to do it, given given the way those things process are so different. Maybe mm -hmm. we could try. That's actually an interesting idea. Let me take a note of that. I may. I may just just try to do that. Uh, yeah. Try. But I believe this library was used uh, successfully at New Bank uh, with different things, right? And it yeah. was there ever a problem with any kind of performance or uh, 
Uh, yes, we had a bunch of problems for a long time. That's like uh, a lot of my time of my work there was to fix some of the problems because there, like I told you, we were using the parallel processing mm -hmm. and the parallel processing has a lot of overhead, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And uh, the worst part, not even that, the worst part was there were situations in which a server would just stop processing entirely and then you have to restart it. Those things are like, those took my sleep, man. Okay. Like, uh, like, like, what, what, how, how can I fix that? And it's such a complicated process internally just to debug and trying to understand. And it's not something like you spin the server and starts. Like you spin the server, it goes for 30 hours and then stop working. So yeah, but eventually with a lot of trial and error, we got to fix that. So this is, as far as I know, when, since I left there, this is not happening anymore. All right. So that's solid. But uh, the because the in, in Newbank, the queries are so huge, it demands a lot of CPU from the server as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as, as the usage grows and the data gets more complex, the servers have to spin more instances, but it seems to be scaling horizontally well, mm -hmm. uh, but can be better. And I, I surely want to make it better on Python 3. Mm -hmm. And that, it, so, oh, yeah. no, just, just one comment around that, because a lot of the complexity of that situation that I'm telling you about comes from the way that parallel processing works on Python 2, because it works on top of that previous planner that's attribute-based planner. Mm -hmm. So because there's a lot of decisions that had to be made as it goes, it's, it's a very reactive approach to it. Mm -hmm. While in the new version with the new planner, all the parallelism decisions are pretty much predefined ahead of time. So the runner to make it parallel, I I hope, and I, I hope it's going to be way simpler because of that, because the runner won't have to deal with these complexities that it has to do today. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, so if I will go about picking Pattern 2 or Pattern 3 right now, what would yeah. be your recommendation? Okay. okay, if you are if you are building a software that you are that you intend to release, like it's a product, go with Pattern 2. Pattern 2 is stable and um, it's being used in a lot of projects uh, successfully. And I know it works. And uh, that big overhead CPU that I told you about, it's really about the parallel parser. The serial parser has a much, much reduced overhead compared to that. And I didn't got much reports of people doing having too much performance issues with that. Mm -hmm. That said, there is one pain point that you should be aware of, Patton. There is processing long sequences. Patton can be quite slow to do that. Uh, on Python 2, I tried to improve that on Python 3, but if you are if you are planning to process like lists with thousands of items, uh, you have to check if you should benchmark if Python is gonna work for you because that's quite slow compared to the baseline on other things. And for most people, this is not a problem because if you are writing something to show in the UI, you hardly need to show more than 50 or 100 at once anyway. So that makes it a non-problem, but be aware of that. <laughs> and so for stable production, you want to get out, use Python 2 with Reader 2 as well. Reader 2 or async Reader 2, the things we discussed before. 
if you are feeling like experimental and you want to try the new features and maybe help me out, help me to figure all of that because Petal Tree is under development and if more people try, you can get more feedback and we can make it better together. Then mm-hmm. use Petal Tree, but as an experimental thing because I can't give you a date when it's going to be stable. So don't you can't count on that. Mm-hmm. You can also have, there is an intermediate option kind of because in Petal 2, there is the reader tree. That's that new algorithm on Petal 2. And it's being used in a few places. But yeah, um, I just let you know there exists. <laughs> if I would suggest, I would suggest go straight to the 2 or Petal 3. Mm-hmm. All right. So is there anything else we should talk about as part of Petal and what does it involve? Yeah, there is... There is this thing I like to bring up. That's my that's the vision I have for the future of Python. What do I want Python to be able to do? Mm-hmm. And I'm working to make Python this place where you can easily connect a lot of distributed data in a lot of forms. Like it's nice to write the resolvers and create your own your own attribute derivation things. And I think it's super cool. This is this is the primary building block that's needed to, to go in this attribute world to get out of the matrix, like, like we said before. But the world, the world is mostly not like that. Like there are APIs that we have to consume out there, they are not like that. So I want to make Python a place that's very easy to integrate those. So as we see, when you have just simple REST APIs without any schema way, then you have to manually wrap um, that igis or igis. But I I feel like there's when there are specifications, there's something Python can help you out. So part of my next work would be writing these integration layers for Python 3. So mm-hmm. some of them there are on my list are Swagger integration. I want to make easy. If you have a REST API that provides a Swagger specification, I think I want to have a way to have for you to provide minimum configuration and have the resolvers created for you. The same way I want to integrate with GraphQL. GraphQL is on the raise, and I think we'll have more and more and more GraphQL APIs, and it would mm-hmm. be nice to integrate those. Petal 2 does already integrate with GraphQL, but due to the planning, uh, the planning way we did before, it it's uh, it's not f- very efficient, really, the way it does it. You know, it, it, the overhead it adds to properly compute the needs, the distributed needs are very bad. That's the main reason I started the new planner, really. Because when you get to these integrations, and we can draw a line between two types of resolvers on Python, because so far in this our whole conversation, we only talked about static resolvers. There are resolvers that has a fixed input and a fixed output. Mm-hmm. But GraphQL is not like that. GraphQL doesn't have a fixed input. You have that single endpoint that depending on what the user wants, you have to compute a query. That's right. what makes it a dynamic resolver in Python world. Mm-hmm. So the new planner tries to exactly fix that problem of while it's trying to figure out things, it can build up these distributed queries. It can build up the whole GraphQL request in one iteration across your query instead of having to do it multiple times as it does on Python 2. Mm-hmm. So 
On the realm of dynamic resolvers, it would be cool to have SQL as well, although it is not on my priority list. But if anybody wants to do it, I think it would be fun. There is the walkable project from on Python that integrates with Python 2. Mm-hmm. Already. Uh, so integrate REST, GraphQLs. I think it would be fun to try to integrate Sparkle, Sparkle APIs as well from RDF. They surely have a lot of data out there. So it would be cool to pull them. And the most uh, self, self-helpful one is integrate with Python itself. Because that would be my dream word. My dream word is that we have a lot of Python APIs all over the place. And if you are, for example, let's say Spotify decided that, yes, let's have a Python API. So the Python API from Spotify will, will give you all these Spotify attributes. And if you want to use that in your system, you should only need to know the endpoint of it and maybe some authentication, authentication needs. But other than that, once you connect, once you point to that, to that graph of the Spotify API, Python mm-hmm. should be able to pull the index information and automatically have a way to, when you ask for Python stuff for Spotify, it automatically knows how to delegate to that service. And that should, Python will be able to do that with any number of services. So if you are working on a microservice architecture company, you could have a bunch of services having Python APIs. And when you wanted to connect everything, you just pull all the indexes together and there is zero configuration needed, like other than the endpoint and authentication, of course. But in terms of relating the entities, you have to configure nothing. And that's that's the dream vision goal there. I'm trying to achieve with Pattern 3. Mm-hmm. Cool. And if someone yeah. would... Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, just, uh, just uh, a final thought around this. Um, I I think Pattern gives, brings a new new abstraction layer to the table. Pattern gives... Pattern gives you tools to allow you to model, create, and think about your data as attributes, as context-free properties relating to each other. Mm-hmm. So if you are interested in using and trying that and joining on board on this big experiment about data processing, please, you can find me on uh, on the Patton Slack on Clonjurians, or you can ask, make issues or things on the Patton repository. Uh, we're going to leave all the links in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's been great. Thank you, Wilker. I think uh, after this episode, everybody will know what Patum is about. And yeah, I look forward to what you create because so far you've been uh, you've been doing amazing work with this. So I definitely look forward to see where you get. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for the opportunity to come here and have this conversation with you. Well, it was really nice. Absolutely. All right. Take care. If you find this podcast valuable, There are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes or any other platform you're listening to. You can share it on social media with your friends. You can blog about it, discuss it on your own podcast, and you can support it directly by buying my video courses and learning ClojureScript and Clojure at my website, jacekshare.com. That's J-A-C-E-K-S-C-H-A-E.com. Thank you for your support of this show.